one thing that I felt passionate about, and I've said this to you not too long ago, is that when we get into doctrinal things and covenant issues and principles of Scripture that are um, long-lasting and hold foundational truths, I always try to slow down and give more explanation and, and really try to, I wouldn't say fully teach the subject as much as try to, to give you a round understanding of what this is about and not just make statements with the assumption that you know exactly what we're talking about. It's good to be reminded. It's good to go back and know why we do what we do and uh, the purpose and what comes out of that. So I, I said all of that to say a lot of the la- uh, much of the last 21 years has, to, has had to do with that. That just, I want to make sure that we, we're communicating the Word of God in a way where people can take it and apply it to their lives and go forward knowing they can build upon it and this is, uh, it's an understanding that I have of the Word. And if you're ever asked, it's not just the response of, well, that's what my church believes, or that's what my pastor said. But you can say, well, this is what the Word of God says, and this is why, why we do what we do. And so there are some people that are not as uh, excited about that. They really want to be inspired, and I get it. I need inspiration too. They just want to feel good most of the time. But I promise you that if you get the truths of God's Word established in your life, you'll serve Him whether you're feeling good or not. Whether everything in your life is going the direction you would like for it to, or if everything is upside down and you're just kind of holding on for the ride. If you have the Word of God established in your life, you can weather the storms no matter what, what the storm is. And you can weather the times when everything's great. I've seen people bail out when everything's great, just like I've seen people bail out when everything's bad. So it, 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 it's, it's really equal in that. But I, I really, today, I want to take some time and go back in the Word of God, if you'll allow me to do that, and bring some understanding to uh, this. Today we're taking communion, and I want you to have an understanding of what this is all about. Not just assumption, not just, well, I think, but I really want you to walk away saying, oh, okay, I get it now, that's, that's clear, I understand it from a different perspective now. So, if you've been through this, uh, and, and you're like, oh no, I'm going to hear it again, guess what, I've been preaching this same stuff for 30 years, I've heard it too, but I'm going to keep preaching it, and keep rehearsing it, and going through it. So when people say, oh man, I've heard that before, think about the preacher, I mean, We've said it before, like over and over and over. And they say it takes, what, 17, 18 times of hearing the same thing before you ever get it. That's why we say it so much. So this is not new probably for, for many of you, but then there will be others that it is new for. And I promise you that uh, no matter if you know the story or not, you will leave here with a fresh perspective on the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper. Amen. So let's get right here into the Word of God. And I'm going to begin with Exodus, the 12th chapter. If you have that in your Bibles, turn there quickly. I'm reading Exodus 12, verse number 7 
and 8. And then once I read those two verses, I'm going to go down to verse 40 uh, and read through 42. So 7 says, And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door post of the houses wherein they shall eat. And they shall eat the flesh in the night, roast with fire and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Verse 40, Now the sojourning of the children of Israel who dwelt in Egypt was 430 years. And it came to pass at the end of the 430 years, even the selfsame day, it came to pass that all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It is a night, verse 42, it is a night to be much observed unto the Lord for bringing them out from the land of Egypt. This is that night of the Lord to be observed of all the children of Israel in their generations. In their generations. Thank you for those that were standing. You can be seated. A couple of things real quickly here that I want you to see. Verse 42 says, it's a night. It's a moment. It's a time that is to be much observed. Notice the words here. Not considered, but much observed, acted upon. For the Lord, we do this because the Lord brought them out from the land of Egypt. This is the night, there it is again, that night. The night of the Lord to be observed. Same, same verse, reiterating it. To be observed that night, the night of the Lord the night He brought him out of Egypt. Observe this, all of the children of Israel, and through the new birth, we're all spiritual Jews, so this takes us in. All, all the children of Israel, not just those by lineage, but also those by spiritual birth. Here we are. It's to be observed in their generations. So it is something to be involved in for generations. Not just a specific moment in the past and then it's over, but it's something that will continue. There's a familiar phrase that, that folks use, and I'm sure many of us have used this when, when we're planning something memorable. We will use a phrase like this that say, it says... Let's make this a night to remember. Now, that has positive and good connotations, and it also has, on the flip side, uh, a negative connotation. Let's make this a night to remember. When we were in the world, we made it nights to remember that we look back on now and say, I wish I could forget that night. I wish that that night would have never happened. But then there's other times, special events, things that are taking place, a marriage, a graduation, a promotion. These things happen and we plan them to be something that will be remembered. That we're going to preserve that 
memory, whether it's through pictures or the experience itself or gifts that are given, but we want it to be something that we will not forget. We do that because it's a significant event. Uh, You're not getting married every week. You're not turning 21 or 16 or 40 every week. Or you're not getting that promotion and arriving at that place every week. It's coming uh, once a year or once a decade or once in a lifetime. And you say, this is a special moment. This is something significant. I don't want to forget this. And so planning will go into it. Effort will go into it. And I will remember that time for the rest of my life. Now, recorded in the Scripture is one of the most incredible nights that has ever transpired in the history of mankind. It's one of those nights that just supersedes all other nights in history. And it happened in the first month of the year for God's people during that time of Moses' leadership. After 430 years, and we read this a few moments ago, of their sojourning, 430 years of travel, if you will, looking, searching after something greater, much of that in Egyptian bondage, God's people here were miraculously delivered. God made a way of escape for them After 430 years of sojourning, four plus centuries of looking, searching, trying to obtain, finding, settling in, four long centuries, long centuries, longer, longer than the United States of America has been in existence, longer than the history of this great nation. They were sojourning all of that time and in one night, God changed it all. In one night, God miraculously delivered them. So before we get too far here, I want you to know that it doesn't matter how long you've been in your current situation. It doesn't take God a long time to turn it all around. It doesn't take God a long time to fix it or set it on the right course. Four centuries later and God turned it around in one night. And He said, remember that night. Observe that For all future generations, don't forget that night. Now, there's a lot of nights in our life that we forget and it's no big deal and we go forward and it it, it means nothing. But this was a night not to forget. It had meaning. It had significance. It would live on. And so Moses was having a struggle with Pharaoh at that time. He was trying to convince Pharaoh to let the slaves, if you will, of Egypt go. They didn't go into that land as slaves, but as time progressed, they ended up in bondage. And Pharaoh did not want to let them go. They were, at that time, literally the workforce of 
the lamb. They were performing the menial duties that no one else wanted to bother with. They were demand, it was demanded of them and they were forced into uh, working probably in uh, unfortunate situations. And here they are, Moses trying to convince Pharaoh to let him go. He was there because God had sent him on that assignment. God had given him the instructions from that bush that was burning but not being consumed. Go tell him to let my people go. And through that exchange, Moses ends up there saying to Pharaoh, I am... I am said to let them go. And Pharaoh's like, I don't care who is, I'm not letting them go. Yeah, I'll compromise a little bit. We'll send them out a day or two journey. They're not leaving. And so, one by one, God sends these plagues to get Pharaoh's attention that he he meant business. Let them go. It's time. And so these horrible plagues uh, are, 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 are forced upon the people and Pharaoh will not bend. He will not surrender to this. And, and it appeared to be nothing more than a failure for Moses. It's a failure. Pharaoh says yes and then he says no. Pharaoh says I will and then he says I won't. Pharaoh says okay and then he said I'm taking my word back. Over and over and Pharaoh will not And there's this resistance that's against the will of God. But the Lord was going to break that before long. That resistance from the adversary was going to be broken. And He did this through uh, the plagues. The plagues of the water being turned to blood. Bloody water. Frogs invading the land. Frogs everywhere. And uh, I heard a sermon many years ago when Pharaoh just asked for, uh, you know, we want deliverance from these frogs, but do it tomorrow. And I heard a sermon that was entitled, One More Night with the Frogs. So, uh, you know, you want, you want it gone, and he wanted the frogs gone, but he said, I'm not willing to do anything about it right now. Let's take care of it tomorrow. So some people live with one more night of their misery instead of letting it all go. So the frogs and the lice. I mean, lice is, I mean, that's enough. Your kids ever come home with a head full of lice? You're, you're at the drugstore. You're buying all kinds of concoctions. You're, you're, you're pouring poison on their head. You're holding them under hot boiling water. You're doing everything. Kids are trying with one child with a head full of lice. Imagine the whole land filled with lice. Everybody has lice. I mean, everybody. You, you, you're not, you try to wash it out and you go to town and you get it again. It's jumping on. Lice, the plague of lice. The plague of flies. You know how crazy we get when one fly shows up on our plate. Shoo, we're, 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 we're taking over a restaurant because of one fly. Imagine a plague of flies. They're everywhere. They're on everything. What about the dead livestock? Livestock is dying and uh, wasting away bulls on the bodies of people. Hell, I mean, some people, some people go on YouTube and watch, watch, you know, I would say extraction, but I don't know it's, if it's always called extraction of some kind of bulls and things that get on people's bodies. I don't know if you're one of those kind of people that like to watch all that gross stuff, but that's like one thing on somebody's body. Imagine people covered from head to toe 
one right after another. You just got rid of the frogs. You just got rid of the lice. You just got rid of the flies. And, and now you've got sores all over, open sores. And people are, oh, that's gross. Don't show that. And man, I can't, I, I don't have enough bandages to cover it all up. That, that's plagues. And Pharaoh's saying, no, no, not going to let him go. <laughs> after that, hail storms. You know, and we know what hailstorms are like here, but imagine that kind of devastation there where it destroys the crops and it destroys their places of living and it destroys everything about them. It's, it's raining out of heaven. And, and you get through that and then there's a plague of locusts. The noise alone drives you crazy and they're, they're coming in by the untold amount of numbers and, and then, then there's darkness. There's just darkness all of the time. And think about people in places in our world that deal with those extreme either times of darkness or light and when it's dark how suicidal people get and how at their wit's end they get and how you can't think straight because it's just dark. Now, the whole land is dark. Nine plagues, one right after another. God's trying to get Pharaoh's attention. Let them go and Pharaoh's saying, no, no, no. And all of this is coming. And so finally God says to Moses, all right, I'm done with him. I'm bringing one last plague. This is it. This is the last time I will get his attention now. Because this is the last time. And so after these ignored opportunities, God moves in close to Pharaoh's life and into Egypt. Pharaoh being difficult and the Egyptians not willing and Here's the plague that would stun the world. Okay? Think about it for a moment. The reality of Scripture. We don't always read the Bible from the lens of reality. We look at it sometimes like a fairy tale. And we, we, we read it like it's Mother Goose. Or it's some kind of Disney attraction. Or it's something that, well, it didn't really happen. It's make-believe. Read the Bible through the reality, the lens of reality, that these are people like you and I that have been through nine plagues, one right after another, that these plagues are devastating. And as soon as they get through one, another one, and now God moves in as close as He was going to get, and He tells Moses, listen, get the people ready because it's going to happen this time. Well, what, 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 how do I get the people ready? Tell them to go out and gather a lamb. Get a lamb for their house. A lamb for every home. Bring that lamb in and roast that lamb. Sacrifice that lamb. Roast that lamb. Take the blood of that lamb and put the blood. We read it. Put the blood on both side posts of their door. The door of their home. Put it over the top, lintel of their home. I want it in three places and tell them to gather their belongings, get their traveling clothes on, put, that, put a different kind of clothes on, put something on relaxing if you will because you're about to go on a journey. And listen, we know the end of the story. They didn't know the end of the story. They were putting on clothes, all right, let me be evangelistic, that they were going to wear for the next 40 years. What? Why do you think God told them to put something specific on? Because He knew where they were headed. They were going to wear the same clothes 
For 40, now, if you thought you had to wear the same clothes for the next 40 years, wouldn't you be real selective about what you put on? <laughs> you think, I got to wear something comfortable. I got to get, my feet are going to swell. I, I, you know, I might eat too much. Is this too tight? I got to make sure I get the right. He said, tell them to put this on. Tell them to pack their bags, get the lamb, roast the lamb. And he gives them all of these instructions on what to do. Tell them to remove all of the leaven from, from their homes. Go through their homes. And remove the leaven. Get it all out. I want it all gone from their homes. And he gives them these things of what they're supposed to do. And, and, and all of this is necessary. Okay? The reason it was necessary is that last plague was the plague of the death of the firstborn. Okay? And when I send death into that land, I will be looking for those who have, through obedience, taken the lamb, roasted the lamb, ingested the lamb, applied the blood of the lamb in the three places, put their traveling clothes on, removed the leaven out of their house. I'll be looking for those homes, and when I see those homes, I will pass over them. I will jump over that house pass over that home and visit the home where those things have not been observed, where those individuals have not been obedient to what I'm asking. And the firstborn in the homes that have not been obedient will die. Okay, this is the reality. Imagine that night. Why, Why does he want us to remember it? Imagine that night. A cry from a next door neighbor. There's not double pane windows. <laughs> There's not all of uh, the, 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 the insulation and the ratings that we have now. And you're literally in environments where people right next door and you hear somebody scream a child's name. And when you hear them scream there, you're wondering what just happened. Across the street, you hear another cry. And down the road you hear another cry. And before long you see parents running in the street, holding their children in their hand, screaming, what just happened? My daughter's not breathing. Somebody help me. My son is not breathing. And there's no one to change the situation. And death, like you have never imagined, falls on the land. Screaming in terror. Parents, nervous breakdowns. Other children screaming, crying. It's like the worst nightmare. Terror in the night that you could ever come up with. Dreaming. People screaming. Running the streets. And you hear it all. And you know God is getting somebody's attention. He said, get ready because when it happens, you're going to move quick. The Egyptians are overwhelmed with the death of their children. I can't even imagine that kind of night. Can't even, I can't wrap my brain around what it must have been like. That's why he said, don't forget that night. That's why he said, observe it for all the generations. When God gets ready to do extreme things, He can do extreme things. But I'm not sure we always want to push Him to that place. 
So the Bible tells us the story of what happened and the death that came on the firstborn of every family. It was, it was unprecedented, but it happened for those who were not prepared. Not prepared. This is an important part of the message today. Nothing else matters more than being prepared when God visits. You have to be prepared. You, you can't do it last minute. You can't get it together after the fact. You have to work on it before He ever shows up. You have to prepare before it ever begins to take place. And so, they hear the cries of their neighbors and they hear men and women and children running frantically through the streets as they find their loved ones dead. Thousands of thousands on top of thousands just gone in one night. And here we are. We wonder, we wonder how, well, what is all of this about it all comes down to Passover Passover that's where we get the term Passover so the angels passed over the homes that were prepared and visited the homes of those who were not prepared so he said going forward don't forget that time so in in the Jewish traditions even to this day, they still have a time of Passover every year. It's that time when you and I start talking about Easter and people, oh, that's pagan, whatever you want to call it. The bottom line is that's the time of Passover. That's the event there of Passover. And it just so happened that all those centuries later, after that event of that one night, that it comes time for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Remember, let's put it together, John the Baptist saw Him coming years before and identified Him, Behold, the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world. Jesus was identified as the Lamb. Okay, so here He is, that last few days, if you will, of His life, and he sets down to have a meal with his disciples. And it's during Passover. It's during this time. And we have what we know, because he's about to depart, sacrifice is coming. We have, as we know today, instituted the Last Supper, or the Lord's Supper, or communion, however you want to label it, and he sets down with his disciples, and this is what the Bible said in Matthew 26, verse 26. It says, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it. And he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. What, what was the importance of that? Well, just like God instructed Moses, tell him to get a lamb and roast it, and take of it, eat of it. And if it's too much for them, give what you have to your neighbor so they have some also. Take the body of the lamb is what they're saying. And he took the cup and he gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink ye all of it for this is my blood in the New Testament which is shed for many 
for the remission of sin. So the lamb in the Old Testament was taken out of the field. It was roasted in their home. They were to eat of that lamb and they were to take the blood and apply it to their door. That was all part of the process. Now you have Passover again. You have the Lamb of God, which we know He came to give Himself a sacrifice and a ransom for all. He is at that last few days of His life. He sets down with His disciples. He takes bread. He breaks it. He blesses it. He gives it to them. He said, this is my body. Eat of it. Well, I don't want to eat of it. Well, you're going to run the risk of not being prepared. This is my blood, drink it. Well, you're going to, well, I don't want any of that. Then you're running the risk of not being prepared. So he said, this is shed for many for the remission of sins. What happened in the Old Testament, we know through sacrifices, was when the lamb was slain and when they came into uh, the the, the tabernacle plan as it, it was after the time we're talking about here. They knew that when the blood was taken by the high priest on the day of atonement, he would take it into the Holy of Holies. He would pour that blood on the mercy seat that was in between the cherubims that was on top of the ark and the Shekinah glory of heaven would come down and receive the sacrifice of the blood that was applied to the mercy seat and their sins, all of those that had brought lamb to the door of the tabernacle and it was processed through the priest and ultimately get to the Holy of Holies, all of their sins would be rolled forward one year. Not removed, put off to the next year. And next year, they had to do the same thing. And the high priest had to come and offer because their sins were not removed. They were only rolled ahead. In Jesus, He said, In my blood is the New Testament. So that was Old Testament. That was Old Covenant. That was showing you what was expected. That was setting you up for what was to come. But when He would sacrifice His life, you would no longer need to get another lamb, go find another animal, come back year after year after year, slay another, because His sacrifice would set it in order for all from that day forward because His blood was precious blood. His blood was righteous blood. His blood was holy blood. And He's saying, in my blood is the new covenant. In my blood is the New Testament. What happens with my sacrifice will not just roll it ahead one year. My sacrifice will remove it completely. So when you're covered with His blood, you never have to face it again. You never have to bring another lamb. It's forever settled. You're forgiven. That has been removed. You have new life in the new covenant which was established in the New Testament. His blood. Why is the blood of Jesus so important to us? You're finding out why. Because it removes, it remits sin. Not rolls it ahead, does away with it. It's it's no longer a part of who we are. So you see all these hundreds of years later, the Israelites were celebrating Passover. They, they, They refused to let such a life altering event. Now hear me. They refused to let life altering events slip away from them and get lost in some daily distraction that we all face. 
So every year, Passover was important. Even to Jews today. You can go to them and during Passover, and if you have Jewish friends, you might get an invitation to come to their home and they'll set their table certain way and they'll have open seats. And the open seat, you ought to go study who that's for because that's awfully interesting. I don't have time to preach it today, so I'll leave you with Bible study to go home and figure it out. And so they, they will leave an empty seat there in their tables of celebration in times of Passover to remember what's done. They do it even to this day. That's a night to remember. So I'm thankful for what happened in Egypt, but I'm more thankful for what happened in Jerusalem. Amen. I, I'm thankful for what was set up in the Old Testament. Testament, but I'm thrilled about what he did in fulfilling that in the New Testament. Amen. Because when they shed his blood, something was established that would forever be settled in my heart that would never be able to be jeopardized. So the blood of Jesus Christ is, is the most amazing thing that any of us could come to a knowledge of. And this time of remembrance cannot be lost in the daily distractions of life. If they'll do that centuries later, what should we be doing as the church now? When we think about... It's easy to get distracted in life and pressure. You know what I read this week? I read this week where someone said that uh, an, average, an average NFL uh, game takes about three plus hours to observe. An average movie at a theater takes two and a half hours or so to be observed. The average person on Facebook spends five and a half hours a week on Facebook. And you go to church and you hear your pastor preach 30 or 45 minutes once a week and you think that's too much. Huh? Hello? Hello, somebody. Come on, don't let the daily distractions of life cloud your mind and get you so full that church is a drudgery and it's a sacrifice to get there. We're spending our lives on things that don't matter. We're spending our lives on things that hold no eternal weight. You ought to be glad you're in the house of the Lord. You ought to be glad you're in the presence of the Lord. It's the only thing that you're going to be able to leave this world with that holds any value. This is what matters. Come on, you can put 40 hours in in your work week. You can put 60 hours in your work week. Don't think it's hard to be at church an hour and a half, two hours a week. Because this is what matters. They refuse to let daily distractions take them away from those events that they said, that's going to be a night I'll never forget. That's going to be a moment I'm going to remember forever. When you think about the night you gave your life to the Lord. When you think about the day you were baptized in His name. When you think about that, that time when He filled you with His Spirit. Come on, don't ever forget those events in your life because they matter more than anything else in this world. He loved you so much. He took a chance on you and allowed His blood to be applied to your life. So when we look at all of this, I want to get to some things that I think will help you, alright? Hold it in high regard. Most people in Christianity, when you get to a place 
of communion or the Lord's Supper or whatever you want to call it. It doesn't matter what denomination you are. There's a lot of differences in Christian denominations and organizations and doctrinal beliefs and what people believe and some add and some take away and some make stuff up. But there's a whole lot of differences in all of this stuff. Okay? But one thing that kind of holds true across all of those lines is a and is, is an observance of the Lord's Supper. Because it's sacred. Because it's an, it's, it's an event you don't want to forget. It's not something so religious that it loses its significance and its power and its meaning in our life when we understand what it's really all about. That when death should have visited my home, when spiritual death should have visited my life, Because of a few steps of obedience, death passed over my home. Death passed over my life. Forgiveness came. Mercy came. Deliverance was provided. I may have been in that situation for years, decades, and in one service, everything changes. God can change it quickly when you give Him the opportunity to work. So let's talk about it for a moment. He said, this is my body. This is my blood. Take of this. Do this. Take it. Permission will happen in your life. So how do we, as current, nowadays Christians, how do we take that body in? How, how do we apply that blood to our lives? See, because if there was not blood present, death visits. Okay? The Bible says this, without the shedding of blood there remaineth no remission for sin. So without His shed blood, there is no remission of sin. So how do I get what He did at Calvary applied to my life today? Alright? I can't go back to that cross and stand at the foot of that cross and let His precious blood fall on me. So how do I do that today? This is how you do it. Through His death, burial, and resurrection. In death, I identify with His death through repentance. I give my life to Him. I ask for forgiveness. I turn my life around, start living different. Secondly, all right, the burial, I'm identified with Him in burial when they put Him in that tomb. When I'm baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. When I'm baptized in His name, I'm identifying with His burial. When... I identify with His resurrection when I'm filled with His Spirit. If that Spirit that raised up Christ from the dead, if it dwells in you, the Bible said, it will likewise quicken your mortal body. So how do I do that? Repentance, water baptism in His name, and the infilling of His Spirit. Okay? So then the question begs, where is the blood applied? Because if blood is necessary, where is the blood applied in that process? Well, let's see, the, let's see this precedent of three. Both sides of the door and on the top. Let's see this, this three deal. Death, burial, resurrection. Repentance, water baptism in the filling of His Spirit. Where is the blood applied? It's applied in the process. It's applied at every step of the process. You could not walk to your door and just say, I'm going to put blood on this side and that'll be good because I'm too tired. I chased that lamb around all day today. I wouldn't run that risk. 
of the angels showing up and saying, eh, hey God, kill them or let them go. They got a little bit of it done, but they don't have all of it done. Huh? The blood is applied at repentance, water baptism, and completed with the infilling of the Spirit. So wherever you are in that process, don't stop one step short. Don't just say, hey, I put a little blood on this side. Make sure you get it on the other side and make sure you get it above so the blood can be applied on both sides and above. So when the angel visits, it says, not that home, not that life, not that. We're not talking about a physical place as far as brick and stone and mortar. We're talking about our lives now. We are the house of God. We are the temple of the Holy Ghost. We have to have His blood up applied to our lives and it's applied through obedience to the steps that the scripture gives us now let me hurry on here so we can come to a close so the reason being Jesus Christ became our paschal lamb when he was sacrificed at Calvary for the sins of the world and I want to read some more verses and this is what he did he shielded all obedient individuals from the death, the consequences of sin. 1 Corinthians 5 says this, verse number 6. You're glorying, Paul's telling those in court, your glorying is not good. They, they were being uplifted in themselves. Know ye not, he said, that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Remember that, that command that was given? Get all the leaven out of your house. See, all, there, there's this deal of types and shadows in the New and Old Testament. You need to understand that if you haven't, maybe I'll preach on it sometime. But there's a, all this stuff going on in the Old Testament wasn't for no value at all or no instruction at all. And when people say, oh, you're Old Testament, yes, I am. Because I'll never be able to live in the fulfillment of the New Testament if I don't know what the Old Testament set up as the example to become what God wants me today. Well, I'm New Testament. Well, if you're not Old Testament, then you have no clue what New Testament is. Well, you want to live in a type or live in a shadow? Why did he say, get the leaven out of your house? Paul is saying right here, thank you, it's like sin. He's saying just a little bit of it will affect everything. He said, "Your, your glorying is not good. He said, don't you know that a little leaven leaven at the whole lump? And he said, purge out, therefore, the old leaven. Work on getting it out of your life that ye may be a new lump. Hallelujah. I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. I'm not the same. If you're the same person you were when you first came to God, you're missing the whole point of becoming a Christian. You're a new lump. I don't know if that's complimentary for some or if some would be offended at that but look at them and say I mean this in a good way you're a new lump tell somebody next to you you're you're a new lump and I love you I love you you're a new lump he said you become a new lump as ye are unleavened get the leaven out for even Christ here's that here's here's where it brings it together even Christ our what Passover, Christ became our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Wait, I'm New Testament. I'm in the, 
I'm in the New Testament church. This is a letter written to a New Testament church called Corinth. And he said, keep the feast. When people say, we don't do Old Testament stuff. Really? You're missing out. Because Paul said, keep the feast. What feast is he talking? What is he talking about? What is he getting to when we say, I'm abandoning all that old law? I'm living in grace. Do you understand what you're saying? That when you say you're living in grace, you're stepping up even to a higher level than what the law demanded of you. In the Old Testament, if it said, if it said, go one mile, in the New Testament, Jesus said, go the second mile. In the Old Testament, if it said do this, that, or the other, in the New Testament, it expects even more because you're under grace. Grace isn't an excuse for sin. Grace gives you the demand to clean your life up and become a new lump in the hand of God. Oh, somebody loves what I'm saying right now. I can feel it. Like an old farmer running a... Running a plow through a through a field that needs to be turned over. Every once in a while, you hit a rock and woo, and you say, "Well, I need to back up and run over that again." I feel that way preaching right now. Maybe I need to back up and run over that again. Some people are so excited about grace, they don't realize grace expects more out of your life than the law did. Grace doesn't mean live any way you want to live, act any way you want to act. You're free to do whatever. You can, you'll go to heaven and you don't even have to go out there and kill one lamb or put any blood on. All you have to do is say, I believe. Well, the devil believes. Is he going to heaven? You're in good company. Even the devil believes, the scripture says. And he doth tremble. I mean, he has enough sense to be scared where some people don't. <laughs> So you got to understand, grace is the power of God to do the will of God. Grace isn't a free ticket to sin. Grace is the power to do the will of God that you could not do without His strength. That's grace. When I look at this stuff and say, man, as a human, I could never do that. With a little bit of grace, I can because He gives me strength and power to move into things that I never dreamed I would ever be able to accomplish. So the Bible goes on. I'm not even to where I want to go yet. The Bible says this, For even Christ our Passover sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven. Don't keep it with old sin. Don't keep it with old attitudes. Don't keep it with old religious practices. Don't keep it with old wicked spirits. Neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness. He said, don't keep this feast with malice in your life. Don't keep this feast with wickedness in your life. People living in the world, no change. Come to God and say, I'm a new creature, but living the same way they were. He said, don't you partake of this feast with wickedness and malice in your life. This is an Old Testament. This is New Testament. He said, clean it up. Purge it out. Work on it. Get rid of it out of your life. And he said, but do it with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Man, I wish I had weeks to teach this Bible study. Oh, 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 God, help me. I have dealt with so many people that just say, well, pastor, you have to understand my family is sincere. Wonderful. 
but my, you didn't know my grandma. No, I didn't. But I'm not your grandmother's judge. All I am is a deliverer of the word that's forever been settled in heaven that will never change. And he said, do it with sincerity and truth. Sincerity is not an excuse to forsake truth. And say, well, they're sincere. God loves everybody. Everybody's getting in. Yay! Man, I wish it was that way. But the Bible says, observe this with sincerity and truth. The Bible said, you shall know the truth. And the truth. Sincerity. It doesn't say, and you shall be sincere. And because you're sincere, you're set free. It said, you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. The truth is what liberates us. The truth is what brings freedom. The truth is what causes chains to be broken off of our life. The truth. So do it with sincerity and truth. He said, Christ became our Passover. He is sacrificed for us. And so you have to note here that He's saying, remove sin. Purge the sin out. Get the sin out of your life. You work on it. He didn't say, just come to God and He'll magically remove all of your fleshly desires and He'll remove all of your humanity and He'll take all of your flesh away and you'll float around with a heavenly body until Jesus comes. It doesn't say that. It says you purge it. You look at your life and say, there's an attitude that's not right. There's an action that's not right. There's an addiction that's not right. There's a passion that's not right. I'm watching, saying, doing, visiting, going, involved in things that would grieve the Holy Ghost. And I can't go one day forward saying, well, the grace of God doesn't care. Yes, He does. Yes, He does. He's looking at your house saying, have they obeyed or not? Because if they have not obeyed, I will visit that house with judgment. But if they obey, I will pass over. Oh God, help us to realize we've been set free by the blood of the Lamb. And it didn't happen accidentally. It happened because someone said, I want to be right with the Lord. I want to push sin out of my life. I want to purge sin out of my life. I want wickedness out of my life. I want to be sincere. I want to be true before God. I want to be what God called me to be. I want to live the way God wants me to live. If there are changes that need to be made in my life, God help me to surrender to those things and say yes to your will will and not run from the responsibility that is there okay let me let let me hurry here to to a close so if you're a true follower of Jesus Christ living upright before him then take partaking of the Lord's Supper it should be a joy in your life it should be a highlight of your relationship with the Lord I've pastored people in the past that heard we were having communion and they would not come to church. And they would admit that. I'm not coming that Sunday. Then quit fooling yourself into thinking you're a Christian if you can't take His body and blood without joy. I don't go home with you. I don't live with you. But He does. I don't know your everyday lives and decisions and hopes and dreams, but He does. I don't know your intent, but He does. 
I don't know the deepest, darkest part of the night when no one else knows what you're thinking or even going, not even your spouse or loved ones, He does. Only He knows what's going on in your life. God, help us to do it right. Help us to be sincere. Help us to be submitted to truth. Help us to be working to remove sin. Things that are not like You. I'm a new lump in Your hands. Create something new in me, God. Shape something new out of my life, God. Help me to become what I've never been before as I surrender to Your plan in Jesus' name. So when we, when we take of the Lord's Supper here in a few moments, it should cause us to remember Calvary. It should cause us to remember the sacrifice that He paid for our salvation. I want you to listen. This is what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11. Everybody listen. Verse 23 says this. For I have received of the Lord, Paul said that, which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night, there's that word again, it's a night to remember, same night in which He was betrayed, He took bread. So at the very night that was the most difficult, challenging night of His existence to that point, betrayal, lied on, set up, fabricated, untrued, one of His very own. One that had sat at the table with Him, walked with Him, seen the miracles been there with him for three and a half years decides there's something else more important you know how it is when people turn against you imagine that night imagine that night when what Jesus was facing when Judas turned was that same night see you can take a night of difficulty and you can turn it into a night of joy or you can just live in the moment of the rejection and the or you can say, no, but somebody does love me. <laughs> somebody does care about me. Somebody is recognizing my life. The Bible said it was the same night that he was betrayed. He took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat. He told those at the table with him, take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. And after the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. He didn't say do this every week. He didn't say do it every day. Some churches take communion every week. Some, some people take it day after day. Some are on a very religious schedule of when they take communion. And I, I wonder from time to time if it just becomes a religious practice and not a sincere act of the heart when it's something that's just done all the time without ever considering what it's really all about. He said, as often as you do it, whenever you do it, do it in remembrance of me. <laughs> For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till He comes. When we do this, we're saying, I remember Calvary. I remember your death. I remember your sacrifice. I remember you making a way to pass over my life. <laughs> I, 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 I remember what you did. I'm not worthy of this. None of us are worthy of this. This is what the Scripture said. He said, 
Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this, please hear me, whoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily. He doesn't say unworthy. He says unworthily. I'll explain it in a moment. Shall be guilty. If you, if you partake of it unworthily, you shall be guilty, the Bible said. Of what? The body and blood of the Lord. What does that mean? It means as though you were the one that crucified Him. You were the one that drove the nails in His hand. You were standing there that moment and drove the spear in His side and laid the whip on His back and forced the crown of thorns on His head. You pushed Him is what... If you approach this unworthily, you stand in the same guilt as those that crucified We're not running, jumping, being inspired right now. I want you to understand how important this little cup in your hand is. He said, but let every man examine himself. You can either stand there guilty or you can look at your own life and examine your own life. And let him so eat of that bread and drink of that cup. After what? After he's examined himself. Doing what? Removing the leaven. Removing the sin. Removing the wickedness. Removing all that stuff and coming into sincerity and truth and saying, I want to be right before the Lord. And so, but let every man examine. 29. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself. Unworthily. Taking it is saying, you're bringing damnation on yourself. When it isn't approached the right way. He goes on, not discerning the Lord's body. Not considering what this is really all about. For this cause, the Bible said. This is New Testament. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you. And many sleep. He said there are people that are spiritually asleep. There are people that are weak spiritually. There are people that are sick spiritually. There are people sick, weak, tired, all those things spiritually and physically because they did this the wrong way. Say, well, that was the devil or that was just something in my family. It could have been you haven't really considered how vital and important That if I can approach this the right way, health and life and strength will come to me. Blessing and favor and abundance and relationship. Oh God, help us to get to that that place. For if we would judge ourselves, if we look at our own lives, examine our own lives, we should not be judged. There's no need for you to be judged if you judge your own life every day saying that's not going to be I'm not living that way I'm not doing that there's no need to be judged then later because you've already taken care of that in your everyday life but we but when we are judged we are chastened of the Lord yes it's going to be uncomfortable don't do that anymore when you judge your life you'll run into those things where he's saying no more and you'll have to decide to say yes to him or no to him but you're chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. I would rather be chastened by the Lord than condemned with the world. I would rather the Lord address things in my life and rub me the wrong way and get my attention than to just live in some make-believe world and one day be condemned with all of those that never took one step 
of obedience. So, let's stand together. Unworthy is a condition. Unworthily is a manner. Unworthy is a condition that we all find ourselves in as fleshly human beings under the race of Adam that fell in the garden. Condemned, sinful, fleshly, temporary. We're all in, not one person is worthy of the blood of Jesus Christ. It's a condition. But unworthily is a manner. It's an attitude in which you take it. It's the spirit in which you take it. It's the approach to which you take it. So if you come and say, I don't need to, I'm, I'm holy, I'm righteous. There's no sin in my life. I've got it all together. Be very careful. Be very careful. But if you come to Him saying, God, forgive me of anything in my life that's not. Search my heart, Lord. Rid me of things that are offensive to You or Your Word or Your expectation. God, I want to humble myself before You. I reach out to You and ask that my life would be examined and purged of sin and wickedness and filth and ways that are not like You. Come on, that's the way you approach the Lord. We approached Him through fasting. We approached Him the last few weeks through prayer. We've approached Him through consecration. We've approached Him through worship. We've approached Him through giving. Vertical as a, is at a place over the last few weeks that we have been coming before the Lord, saying, God, we need You. We can't do it without You. We've got to have your help in our lives, your forgiveness, your healing, your deliverance, your strength. God, we've got to have you. We can't do it without you. I want to invite you to come and stand with me around the front. And as you're coming, would you pray?